sometimes in the region of 14, 15, 16, even 20 years of education. Having entered the educational system perhaps at the age of four and having completed perhaps a postgraduate degree in university at the age of 24, that in all disciplines, not just in mathematics itself, but in oftentimes in terms of physics, in terms of chemistry, in terms of art, in terms of even art history, that they have a very, very poor ability in relation to basic arithmetic and in relation to computation and in relation to mathematics itself. Now, I believe that one of the major reasons for this is the way that, in Ireland anyway, and I know that it happened in, around the world at around the same time, uh, the mathematics curriculum was changed in schools, in national school in particular, and that was in uh, 1966. And um, I was in school myself at that time, I was 10 years of age. And the mathematics curriculum was changed. And the change brought about two vitally significant aspects and two aspects which I believe that we need to keep in consideration in terms of the Global Vedic Mathematics Programme. And that one is the introduction of what is called the New Mathematics, which is... Um, Mathematics derived based on the academic pursuit of mathematics, and that's, there's nothing wrong with the academic pursuit of mathematics, but the, the academicians, <laughs> the academics um, seem to have forgotten that there are a lot more to mathematics than just the pursuit of what is called pure mathematics. There's engineering mathematics, there's applied mathematics, there's mathematical physics, there's mathematics, very important area at the moment, and mathematics um, applied to financial services, financial systems, commercial systems, and all of these. And all of these have their roots in the mathematics which is taught in schools. And I found it quite amazing that children as young as four were being introduced to the concepts of cardinal numbers and ordinal numbers. And that they were being introduced to a system of language, which basically mathematics itself is, which is very precise and quite rigid and quite turgid. And that it doesn't have the freedom of expression the freedom of movement that the mind of a child does have. And children need uh, to be cultured in such a way that their minds um, can embrace the language of what I personally call the language of computation. In the Irish language, I use the term duharaviyukt, which relates to deep inner enumeration. And... We have an extraordinary ability in terms of, as, as a species, and in terms of, of our human ability in terms of mathematics. It is an extraordinary ability. I know that physicists are amazed 
at the way that mathematics and this here they're talking about deep deep mathematics the way that it is can be used to comprehend the language of nature the language of physics and what i think we should be um amazed oh, sorry, i think that we should be amazed at is that we can actually comprehend this level of language and you know there is um, I remember having a discussion one day with a colleague of mine when I was lecturing or, and, and doing my PhD research in University College Cork. And I said, you know, that we have, have um, notions of, of um, differential equations. We use differential equations to model physical systems. But I said, I doubt it that the language of the universe itself uses differential equations because they are just too difficult. They are too abstract. And the colleague of mine said, yes, but that's the only way we have of comprehending them. And what would be hoped for is that not alone that we can develop the program of the global Vedic mathematics program in such a way as to encourage um, those involved in, let us call it traditional mathematics, to expand their view. And that is something that is, um, I believe, to be absolutely necessary. That the 2,000 year old or 2,500 year old um, program of let's call it Greek mathematics, based on the language of logic, and that it is expanded um, so that there is more than a knowledge of the influences of logic. Because Vedic mathematics and what I would call the Haravirkta computation or natural computation involves more than just logic. It involves the development of a skill, the development of um, the mental capacity of the human um, brain physiology in its applications in the area of computation. And I know I'm fudging, fudging around here at the moment looking for concepts because, you know, the power of mathematics, um, I think of one power, and this was effectively occurred during the Second World War, that the power of mathematics was to break the Enigma code during the Second World War, and that uh, is is um, understood to be very comprehensive. I've been thinking about something in the last few days, which is a lot of times mathematics is portrayed in terms of truth, in terms of understanding. In other words, it is a sort of a fear-based system that you must understand something and this is something which a lot of you who have engaged in teaching Vedic mathematics more than I have myself 
because I've been looking at it in terms of, of, of more research um, and its relationship with modern mathematics. But where I know from the, some, from the teaching that I have done that when young children are encouraged to just explore some of the potential in terms of, um, say, multiplication or whatever, that their eyes literally light up, that the spark of light enters into their awareness and they realise that they have the ability to, in one sense, know the language of nature at a very, very subtle way. And that is what the power of mathematics is. It gives us the ability to know the language of nature in a very powerful way. Hmm. That's nice. I'm going to leave us at that. Slán agus banacht. Garab mahogut agus slán is banacht. Right, um, I have entitled this Taking the Plunge into Nothingness. And um, nothing can be more frightening than having to either write or talk completely unscripted. It's a very, I remember um, reading something at one stage and it was the great Russian writer Gogol who said that there is nothing more frightening than the next word and nothing is ever truer than that. And I was thinking, I said, oh, do I really want to continue with the program that I'm on at the moment, which is to, um, I'm sort of scripting it as I go along. And at this moment in time, what I'm doing is I'm going to record three 10-minute sessions. Record, listen, record, listen, record, listen. And then um, effectively publish the three of them under the same name in the same blog entry. And um, I don't know if anyone is listening to these things or not. That's not my business at this moment in time and the whole thing of actually doing it and putting it out on the internet it just puts that as it's easy to do it and, and, and do it at home and do nothing with it but by actually putting it out into the internet one is I am opening myself to a certain amount of criticism or critique or whatever else you want but this is where I am at this moment in time and um, I was talking with a few people today and I was talking about the mathematics of happiness. And um, let's say it got quite a good reaction. You know, is it possible to um, create a mathematics which brings happiness? Now, that's not exactly the same as, the way, as, as, as what I was thinking about yesterday, but it is more or less the same. Is it possible, I can ask the alternative question, 
is it possible to create a system of mathematics which brings sadness and the resounding um, verdict would be yes. And that is the resounding verdict that I have gotten from people over the past 20 years, talking with them in various different places um, about mathematics. And the resounding verdict is that people dislike mathematics, which is a terrible pity. Because what it means is that, for instance, maybe, um, just after thinking of this, you know, that the mathematics which is confined to the 10% of the brain which we apparently use is the mathematics of sadness, the mathematics of unhappiness. It is a mathematical recipe which does not develop the full potential, it does not develop the full brain. And again, I come back to the point that I have made over and over again. And it is no harm in reiterating this point again and again. And that is that mathematical education is a resounding failure. And it is a terribly great, a terrible great pity. I was speaking with someone in the last few days about this. And I said, to him, and he agreed with me. I said, we're now into the third or maybe even the fourth generation of both teachers and students who have no or a very limited ability of a, of basic arithmetic, basic multiplication, basic addition, basic division and basic subtraction. And the powers that be within our educational system don't seem to be too concerned about that. Now, there's one other thing. When I was heading off, I, you know, if if you if you don't know what to write, if you don't know if you're following something like like I'm uh, suggesting, either writing morning pages, or <laughs> recording evening blogs. If you don't know what to do, one very good way of um, getting inspiration is by just going for a walk. You go for a walk, you have something in your mind, you walk it out yourself, and then you come back. And the walking gives you the energy to forge ahead. We're all used to dealing with uncertainty, and that's one of the things I said, taking the plunge into nothingness. Um, nothingness is something that we, as a species, are, are, are not very happy dealing with. You know, we're, I have no money, I have nothing, I have no, I have no joy, I have no this, I have no that, I have nothing, I have nothing. But nothingness is the source of everything. Nothing is the source of everything because nothing creates the desire for something and we must we create something out of nothing. The whole universe is the expression of a ripple in nothingness. The whole manifest creation from the time of the Big Bang 
which wasn't really a big bang. It was more like a little whimper. It was a little, a little something out of nothing. A little ripple in the fabric of time. And out of nothing came the totality of the universe that we, that, that we live in. The totality of the universe that we ourselves are composed of. And, you know, it's one of the things that, that I, I, I think within the field of mathematics is that we must inspire children. We must inspire young adults. We must inspire students to effectively to go beyond the physical reality within which we exist. I mean, I would love to know, is, is there a spiritual domain to mathematics? Is it possible to know the mathematics um, that, if you want to call it, God used to create the universe? God, in one sense, didn't create the universe. He created the conditions for the universe to create itself. And those conditions were eternal. Those conditions are everlasting. And... Um, this isn't what I wanted to talk about, but, you know, this is where I am. Now, one thing that um, I would love to be able to do, and I don't know whether it is possible, whether it will be possible to do over the next few weeks, we'll just have to see, is to create a meditation based on mathematics to create a system whereby you bring the students in and you get them to just sit quietly in their their seats. It could be done before every mathematics um, class for one minute, two minutes, for five minutes. And you just ask the, ask the students to centre themselves within themselves. They just close their eyes and then they just breathe, become aware of their breathing. Just gently, gently take a breath in and allow the breath to come out. Just take a breath in and allow the breath to come out. And then just ask the students to just maintain the silence for one or two minutes and then gradually to take a deep breath in and to open the eyes. And if that is done that is, in one sense, a way of starting the process of taking a plunge into nothingness. So, Shine Garmagat Agus Slan. Right, um, this is the second version of taking the plunge into nothingness and um, 
even at this moment in time, if you have listened to the previous recording, version 1, taking the plunge into nothingness, then in version 2, nothingness has begun to take shape. The universe of ideas has begun to coalesce into something. It has begun to manifest a perception. And that is very much the way the universe itself operates. That we have the intelligence of the observer beginning to create the observation of the observed. And um, I was just going to entitle this initially the taking the plunge. But then when I was on my walk, I began to think of nothingness, of nothing, of non-thing. And um, at one time, some years ago, I was looking for a word in Irish for zero, for something which is nothing in the Irish language. And... I was quite amazed to find out that there was no word in Irish for nothing. And I knew what the word would have been in, say, Sanskrit, or the word I was looking for, which is sunyam. And according to Maharishi's Vedic science, everything, all the, everything comes from nothing. All of the numbers come from zero. So zero or nothing is quite an important concept. Uh, I knew that no thing in Irish is nyavni, um, because nyav is used in, in that context, similar to the, the English word un, as in wanted, unwanted, sort of like that. And I... Playing around with Nyavni, Nyavnyach, and eventually I, f I, I, I finished on Nyawach. And Nyawach is my Irish word for nothing. And Nyawachish, which is the intelligence of nothing, is my Irish word for nothingness. So we're heading into the intelligence of that which is not. Of that, it's not that which is not. Nothing is not nothing. Nothing is not um, consisting of nothing. Nothing is effectively is the potential of everything. And I was reading a very interesting article over the last few days. Um, I, re I referred to it. I'll just get the title here. It's contained in the volume of physics. Um, I'd say the, the, the book entitled Physics in Consciousness-Based Education and Physics. And the title of the, pa of the paper is written by John Hagelin, and it's actually very interesting. It's Restructuring Physics from Its Foundation. And I'm just, oh, yeah, and he was talking about the structure of the unified field and the way that the unified field itself is lively, that the nothingness of the unified field due to the quantum principle makes it the potential to, um, to, to, to manifest everything. And that is contained within the quantum principle itself. And it's basically the way the field and its 
the position and momentum because those two concepts do not commute and they are extremely lively. That, and basically what it means is that you can, if you were to know the position of something exactly, then its momentum would be completely uncertain and this gives it an extraordinary degree of dynamism. And um, one wonders whether that is the source of the liveliness within the human, not so much the brain physiology, but within the mind itself. There are some um, who have commented on the fact that our mind behaves more like a quantum, it's more like a quantum mind than um, a classical mind. And um, that makes it very, very interesting. Now I'm going to just rest for a moment. What I'm going to do is I'm going to meditate. And the field of nothingness, I mean, if if we think of it, if we look at the symbol for nothing, the symbol for nothing is zero, which is also the symbol for everything. So that everything is contained within nothing. And... No, in certain instances, nothing can stand for every single um, thing. Initially, when zero was used in um, arithmetic, it represented the, what's called the placeholder notation. And it represented a, it could in fact be anything. Any digit was there. Um, the zero could be, be used to represent any digits. I'm, I'm very, very aware of what's happening here now at this moment in time because my mind is so full of nothing. I don't actually know what I want to say. And for, as an adult, this creates a good degree of uncertainty, a good degree of um, dissatisfaction because we are expected to know we, we are not very um, adept at um, handling uncertainty. We're not very adept at handling nothing. We're not very adept at handling silence. We, we continuously say that we need to keep speaking, we need to keep talking, we need to keep um, our attention lively. But we also need to explore the depths of our inner being. We need to explore the depths of our non-verbal being and let that being bring out something out of nowhere, bring something out of the depths of nothingness that we can then say, wow. And what I have found with, with these recordings is that sometimes I say, what am I saying? Where, where am I going with all of that? But then I listen to the tone of voice and I listen to the surety within the voice which I re recorded, and I say, whoa, 
that's not bad. So I'm going to finish there now and we'll see what this sounds like. <laughs> and what I'm trying to do, learn to do, is to just be at ease with myself, speak quite easily, and this will take time to develop. This whole process will take time to develop. And hopefully at the end of it, I will have something worthwhile. So I only, all I can do is just trust myself, trust my inner being. Shine, Gadamagat Agus Slan.